All right, well, good morning. My name is Jake Thurston. I am a recent uh, graduate of Indiana Wesleyan University, and so it is truly uh, an honor, and um, I'm just so grateful to be able to be here and for us just to hear what the Lord may have to say uh, to us this morning. So, but before we get started, before we dive head into this, I want to do a quick shout out to some special people who are actually here to join us this morning. First and foremost, my parents have traveled all the way here from Fountain City, Indiana. That's my mom. That's my dad. They're super great. Um, <laughs> maybe you can see where I get some similar resemblance, right? <laughs> but there's a special person, a really special person that was able to make it here this morning. And he actually doesn't know I'm about to give him this shout out, but I literally would not be who I am today if it weren't for this individual. This person was there for me during the greatest times of my life to comfort me, to make me uh, joyful during the joyful times, but then he was also always there for me during the worst parts of my life. He gave me comfort and security when I had none. And this person, this individual is truly the best friend I've ever had. And this individual is none other than my Elmo. Yeah. This Elmo was my best friend growing up. He was there for me during the best times and the worst times. He was my security. He was my comfort. He was literally my whole life. We all had those, okay, come on, all of us have had those animals before, right? Like, we all know this. My entire identity depended on this stuffed animal, right? So, flashback, several years ago, many years ago, I should say, my mom, my brother, and I went to our local library to rent some VHS tapes for us to take home and watch for our entertainment, and sure enough, I stumbled across this one particular film. It's called Elmo in Grouchland. I was super excited, so we took it back and watched it. And the main premise of this movie is it begins with Elmo being a little too possessive with his fuzzy blue blanket. And he tries to share, well, Zoe, his best friend Zoe, is trying to share Elmo's blanket with him, but Elmo's not having it. And so after getting to this tug of war back and forth between his blanket, his blanket is ripped out of his hands and lands in Oscar the Grouch's trash can, to which Elmo dives into this trash can only for him to be teleported to this far-off land called Grouchland, USA. A land filled with grouches and especially an evil man named Huxley who steals everything he can find, and particularly Elmo's blanket. So this movie is all about Elmo finding the courage to take on the evil Huxley and get his blanket back. But for me, as a kid who was emotionally obsessed with Elmo, this was the most stressful thing I could have ever watched, right? And so towards the end of the film, Elmo has this providential conversation with a caterpillar who gives him the courage to go on and take Huxley, to get his blanket back. So we get to the climax of the film. I am literally sitting at the edge of my seat, absolutely terrified of what Huxley is going to do to my Elmo, right? And so Elmo bursts through the window of Huxley's house. And he does all sorts of crazy, awesome acrobatics and flips, and he's doing all sorts of really crazy stuff. But then, of course, it happens. 
Elmo gets knocked down to the ground, and Huxley takes control of this giant claw that comes around and dives down and entraps him into this claw. And I lose it. I run to my room and burst into tears and cried for over an hour and a half because I thought Huxley was going to rip his arms off. I was scarred for life. Even to this day, I haven't seen the end of the film. <laughs> the stuffed animal. That so much of my life, even my identity, depended on, was threatened to be taken away. And as a result, my life fell apart, as much as it could for a six-year-old kid. What are your stuffed animals? What are the things in your life that your identity depends on for you to be you? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3. So again, that is Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that, we're actually going to be getting to that part later. But what I want to focus on first is the main character of the Exodus story. The protagonist of the Exodus story is Moses. Many of us have probably heard his story before. But Moses had a crazy life, if you think about it. Moses, first of all, was saved from a mass slaughtering of Hebrew boys. He was placed in the Nile River in a basket. And after he was weaned, at the age of three, he was officially adopted into uh, the royal family by Pharaoh's daughter. And from that moment on, Moses' life was entirely 100% Egyptian. He grew up in the most powerful nation that existed at that time in the ancient Near East, and he also was in the richest economy at that time, and he received the best education known to man at that point in his life. And so by the age of 40, Moses was thoroughly in and out Egyptian. He depended on that culture to define who he was. He depended on his family, his Egyptian family, his friends, and anything else a part of this culture. It made who he was. But then Moses does the unthinkable. After seeing an Israelite slave being, beat, being beaten up, Moses goes and tries to stop this by killing the Egyptian, a fellow Egyptian, to prevent this from happening. We don't exactly know why Moses did this, but for whatever reason it was, it was an atrocious act. So atrocious that Pharaoh actually set out to have him killed, forcing Moses to leave everything he once knew about himself, his whole life, his culture, his family, his friends, so he could become an alien in this foreign land. Immediately, in an instant, he went from everything to nothing. Can you imagine being Moses? Like, you would have an identity crisis if that happened, right? If you did an act that you never dreamed of doing, if you moved far away from your family and friends, and you arrived in this completely different culture that you never thought you would live in, and you all of a sudden had to make decisions and do things that was totally contrary to your behavior. <laughs> With the exception of killing a man, that sounds a lot like college, doesn't it? But if we look at the heart of the matter, 
you would have an identity crisis if everything you depended on to make who you were was stripped from you. You see, our identities are something that all of us strive to keep in order. In fact, for us college students, a lot of us strive to even figure out what the heck our identity is, right? And so if we actually zoom back and we look at every single one of us in here, our identities are made up of the same things. It's what I call our dependencies. Our dependencies. Every single little thing that we individually rely on to make us who we are. So to kind of summarize this, the main point that we're really going to be looking at this morning is who you are depends on your dependencies. Who you are depends on your dependencies. And this list of your dependencies literally could never end. It could be really significant things like your family or your culture that have contributed to who you are, or it can be really small things like your favorite flavor of ice cream. It could be something really, really good and healthy like a healthy marriage or um, a hobby that you love that's really life-giving. Or honestly, it could also be something really bad that's a part of you that you honestly don't wish was there. Maybe a struggle or maybe something happened in your past that continues to define who you are. So just to kind of continue this list, this list of our dependencies, again, never ends. Just to name a few. Just to name a few. We can depend on our blessings, our life lessons, our upbringing, our academic performance, money, intellectual ability, sports, hobbies, careers, passions, talents, churches, our majors, the amount of likes on our social media. Careers, passions, talents, friendships, relationships, marriages, technology, religion, social class, our bodies, our strengths, our weaknesses, our inadequacies, what others think of us, our personal connections, our successes, our failures, even our sins. And the point of all this isn't to say that our dependencies are bad. We are designed to be dependent people. We are meant to rely on other people. We're meant to depend on our culture and these things that make us who we are. But the problem, though, the problem with all this is when we actually begin to overemphasize a particular dependency and it begins to consume our lives and everything we know about ourselves. Before you know it, We've based our entire life on a stuffed animal in comparison, only for us to be left broken and lost because of it. This was um, definitely the case for me. Last year, I had the amazing and awesome opportunity to serve as one of the two student body chaplains for this university, and it was an amazing year. I learned so much about myself and who God was, but... Every single day, I just felt this tension of living up to what other people thought of me. You know, every single word I said in public, every single action I did, I just couldn't help but wonder, what do people think of me? And that would dictate so much of what I did. And even if you fast forward to this year, um, I have plugged back from campus a lot, um, I'm currently studying to get my master's degree, and I'm living off campus, somehow learning how to be an adult in the process. Um, but even then, I have found myself to kind of have this little identity crisis because I realized a lot of my identity depended on that position that I once had. 
if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe there are just some of us here who are not satisfied with who we are. Where we're so consumed by this one thing, maybe it's a broken relationship from the past, or maybe it's a circumstance that happened or an atrocious act you committed, or maybe it's just the fact that you're so focused on pleasing your parents or your peers or your professors or your bosses that you just put so much tension and anxiety on your life and it's defining you and you just feel like everything about yourself is crumbling. And that's what happens when we overemphasize a particular dependency. So Moses heals a man. He heals a man, and he flees off to this foreign land called Midian, to which, you know, he makes the best of it, and he moves into Jethro the priest's family. Uh, he marries one of his daughters, and he becomes a shepherd, which was the total opposite of what his previous identity was, right? He was a prince of Egypt, and now he is a shepherd of sheep. And so he lives here for another 40 years, 40 years of depending on a whole new culture, a whole new family, and just a whole new lifestyle as a whole. So his identity would have totally shifted during those 40 years. But then Moses has an encounter that probably sent him through a second identity crisis. And this is where we turn to Exodus chapter 3. So again, if you have your Bibles, please uh, feel free to read along. Um, and we'll pause halfway through. Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So we'll pause right there. So Moses approaches the bush, little to find out that he is actually being brought into the overwhelmingly powerful, holy presence of the God of his ancestors, which totally surpassed all of the gods that he once knew growing up in his Egyptian culture. And so Moses, as he's going in, 
he literally says that he is afraid of what he is seeing. He is afraid of this holy presence of God, so much so that he covers his face. And I think that's really interesting because our face is the physical part of our bodies that give us our identity. Right? Like you don't judge people by their body types. You, you look at people and you identify people by their faces. So I think on one hand, yeah, maybe Moses was really afraid, but maybe on the other hand, he was losing every single grasp that he had on himself because of how powerful God is. So while Moses is freaking out, having no idea what to do with himself, God continues on like it's no big deal and says, I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cry. And I am going to save them by sending you. And I think Moses' response is quite adequate, right? Who am I to do this? I cannot do this. I have no qualifications at all to do this. Didn't you see, God? I murdered a man. Didn't you see, God? I, I am a fallen Egyptian. I can't do this. I'm a stutterer. I can't speak to these people. Moses depended on his inadequacies. And therefore, that made him inadequate. Instead of depending on the power of who God is and what God was capable of doing through him. So Moses continues his conversation with God, trying to get out of doing his will, but he ends up doing something where he asks a question that totally changes everything. We continue on in verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Moses asks a really simple question. He asks, what is your name that I should tell the Israelites? To which God responds with, I am who I am, or just simply I am. And this name, this name I am, actually comes from the same Hebrew name as Yahweh. Yahweh and I am mean the same thing, and Yahweh is this extremely holy word that even the Israelites never even dared to say because it was so powerful. But in so doing, God reveals a huge characteristic about himself by telling Moses what his name is. In fact, the name I am for God refers to what we call in theology as God's aseity. God's aseity. What the heck is God's aseity, right? Basically, what that means is that God is 100% independent. He's 100% independent. He does not need anything for God to be who he is. He is 100% powerful. He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. He is perfectly good. Not because of anything he depends on, but entirely because of just who he is. See, that's totally contrary to our identities because we are dependent beings. We do have to rely on these other things to make us who we are. So just for example, if I am to fully explain who I am, who Jacob Thurston is, 
I have to say, I have to say, I am Jacob Thurston. I am who I am because of my religion or my hobbies or my family or my culture or my struggles, right? That because in my name has to be attached to how I describe myself. But God, who is entirely independent, doesn't need that because attached to his name. Because all he has to say is, I am who I am. This is me. With God being 100% independent, it means he is 100% dependable. It's 100% dependable. And so this brings us even to a deeper point about God's name. And a disclaimer, I am about to use grammar as a sermon illustration. Some of you are like, yay, grammar. Most of us are like, oh, grammar. We don't want that. We have to deal with it enough. But stick with me here. This is super legit. So this name, Yahweh, or I am who I am, comes from the same verb that we use in our English language as to be. You know, where it's the verb where we get words like I am, or he is, or they are, right? Pretty, pretty basic first grade grammar. And so one of the ways we use this to be verb is to grant identity to things, to give definition to things. So to illustrate this, I have provided a phrase for us to look at. Chipotle is the greatest restaurant of all time. Some of you are going to say, Qdoba is so much Yes, thank you, thank you. Some of you are like, Qdoba is so much better because it has queso. And I'm like, queso has RBGH and preservatives. Get off me. We could talk more later. But Chipotle is the greatest restaurant of all time. That verb is comes from that to be verb that we use. And literally, Chipotle is only possible of receiving this identification, this identity as the greatest restaurant of all time because it depends on this to be verb. And so likewise, God, who is 100% dependable, has designed every single one of us with an amazing set of characteristics in how he sees us. And when we, as the nouns of the sentence, so to speak, depend on the God whose name literally comes from to give identity, to give purpose, we are then able to receive all of these amazing characteristics and how he sees us and how he identifies us. Who would you become if you depend on the independent one? Who would you become because of I am? You see, when we depend on our stuffed animals of dependencies, we're only going to be left with brokenness, anxiety, and we're just going to lose sight of who we are. But when we step back and depend on a God who is not of this world, who is 100% dependable, who is loving and just and sovereign, and who is never going to fail us, then we are going to be completely redefined when we depend on who he is. And in fact, our identities are given entirely new meanings because of I am. And this is made entirely possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for every single one of you. See, Paul, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, 
says that we were by nature objects of wrath. We were tainted by sin. We were defined by our transgressions, by our shortcomings. That was our identity. But he goes on to say this. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one can boast. Check this out. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has an incredible purpose for every single one of you. He has designed you as his workmanship, and he loves you, and he sees you as someone who is cherished, who is beautiful and wonderful and capable, who can be filled with peace, who doesn't have to be defined by what other people think of them, where you don't have to be defined by your body image or your sins or your broken relationships of the past or the atrocious things that you've done or the atrocious things that you've experienced. In fact, because of the gospel, it is possible for our identities to be restored. Everything we were meant to be. But here's the catch. All of that is a hypothetical theory until you believe it's true. It's one thing to know what you're restored to. There's another thing to believe that it's true. You know, and there might be some of you here where that very thing of believing that God can totally redefine you, who can totally take that thing that you depend on too much to where it consumes yourself and everything and how you view your life, it just seems so incomprehensible that God can turn that around. And if that's you, I just want to say it's okay. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to not feel like you have to leave this chapel all of a sudden with all of your problems restored. No, no, that's, that's not the case. All I request is that you take this truth that God completely and totally redefines who you are because you are a child of God who loves you. And if that can push you to that next step, maybe it's pursuing counseling, maybe it's talking with a friend about an issue that you've never opened up before, or whatever that next step is, that it motivates you to do that. I can imagine that all of us in here are in different places with this. Um, maybe some of us are very content with who we are, and others of us may be all over the map with this. But regardless of who you are and where you're at, I just want you to pause your mind, pause your heart, and just to take in this really inspirational quote that I got from none other than Emmett, the construction worker from the Lego movie, otherwise known as Chris Pratt. 
and I'm being serious, listen to this. You are the most talented, most amazing, and most extraordinary person in the universe. And you are capable of amazing things. Because you are the special. So am I. And so is everyone. And you can still change everything. Who would you become because of I am? Who would you become when you depend on the independent one? When I think about my identity, I often think about mirrors. I mean, how many of us have done this before? Where we just stand in front of a mirror and we look at ourselves in the eyes and literally reflect on, are we satisfied with who we are? Am I satisfied with who I am? You know, and so what I want us to do during this time of response for us just to be really honest with ourselves and to look at our lives and to look at the things that we depend on that totally define who we are, that we are sick of being consumed with, that we are sick of being identified by those things, and that we can instead think about what God can do in our lives when we fully depend on him. So what I want you to do is to think about that thing that you depend on that defines who you are and then how God can flip that, specifically by looking at how you would finish this phrase. I am blank because of I am. I am loved because of I am. I am not defined by my past broken relationships because of I am. I am restored because of I am, because of who God is when I fully depend on him. And once you have that word or that phrase that you can put into that blank, I want to invite you to come to one of these mirrors. We have four on each side down here. We also have two here in the wings. And with the exception of the center back aisle, we have one mirror um, in each exit way. And at the bottom, there are markers for you to take and write that very word or phrase that God redefines you. And as you look into your eyes, as you write this characteristic down, you can believe that it's true. Even if it's hard. Who will you become because of I am? You don't have to depend on this. You don't have to let that thing that has made your life up to this point define you. That does not have to be the case anymore. And it could take months for this identity thing to really soak in, for you to begin to depend on who God is and how everything just kind of begins to set itself into place from that moment, I promise you, regardless of where you're at or what you've done, God loves you. It sounds so cliche, but he loves you, and he views you as an incredible person whose potential is just ready to be unlocked when you rely on him. And in fact, 
when you look at the rest of Moses' life and you get to the very last part of the books he wrote, it says that Moses was the best-known prophet that ever was existing throughout the history of Israel. No one compared to who Moses was. And I think it's because he depended fully on who God is. You can be the same. You can be the same. Lord, we are so grateful for everything that you are, for all that you are, and who you are, and for sending your Son to redeem us, to save us from these transgressions and our sins and these things that consume our lives. God, we are sorry that we have that tendency. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you can set us free, that you can renew us, and that this day forward, we can maybe begin some new steps or maybe just a new journey and what it looks like to fully de- to be dependent on you and nothing else in comparison, God. We love you and are so grateful for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great weekend.